0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Backstage Podcast. You know, over the course of my career, one of the questions I was often asked was, what's it like to work in politics? And for some reason, I never felt like I was the best person to answer that question. Well, Harold Fortin is my guest today, and he may very well be that person. We talk about his impressive 14-year career and how, despite his very young age, he was among the most revered senior staffers, occupying the positions of communications advisor and deputy chief of staff to many cabinet ministers in the Quebec government. We also talk about the last four years, during which he was the Quebec premier's right-hand man, serving as his communications director, and later as director of his international relations department. Frankly, it doesn't get more backstage than this. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Man, thanks for coming.
1: <laughs> no problem. It's a pleasure.
0: uh We spoke about this before.
1: uh There's this relaxed look that you get when you leave <laughs> politics. I think everybody has it. <laughs> you saw that in me. <laughs> you did. And mm-hmm. uh, people have been telling me that for po- a couple of months now. We'll take it. <laughs> i yeah. feel calm, relaxed, and maybe too too relaxed. That's the problem. That might be a problem at one point. Who knows? <laughs>
0: people don't understand the the stress it takes. Uh, And everything that's involved behind what we did, especially you at your level. I mean, I was just at the, uh, you know, at a writing, but the stuff that you did, man, people don't, you know, we're saying this before we, before we went on, before we went on, before we started recording, very few people understand uh, how it is, what we do
1: and what it takes. What we do is, uh, it's, it's made, you get involved because you're passionate at one point. That's why you do it. You don't count your hours. Mm-hmm. You forget about your health. You forget about your friends, uh, your spouse. And at one point, uh, your health uh, might go, it might all go sour, which happened to me, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, I think during the third year of our mandate at Premier Courage's office, at one point, I couldn't sleep. And the weird thing in politics is that, you know, when you have anxiety and stress, usually you use, you lose weight. Yeah but in politics you gained you weight. gained it <laughs> wow. yeah i think i gained during my you know the, the whole political thing which was about from 2004 to 2018 i think i gained like 35 pounds yeah i gained weight too <laughs> but like you said it's very
0: difficult to maintain a schedule not that i had one before right yeah. it's not like i was a super athlete yeah. uh
1: but it's very difficult to get carried away it- true and also that you get consumed by work because you want to do well and like i was saying earlier it's a passion it's not it's not a job it's not somewhere you come in and you say nine to five then i'll be doing other activities (laughs) no way you know some people in life they 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 work to be able to do some other stuff outside of work which is fine Others do outside stuff, outside stuff, and, you know, work is just one, uh, one, uh, one element of their day. But when you work in politics, you, it's not a job. It's, uh, it's a commitment. So at one point, it can be 9 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night. You're still on Yeah. 24 hours a day, seven yeah. days a week. Even during vacation time with your family, if you get a call, you see something on television, on the SCN, RDI, or anything mm-hmm. on global, then you're going to be like, oh, that might be something that we'll be talking about. So I have to send a text now and I'll do it now, even if I'm in the supper with friends and it's 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you is, do. is that how you started? Was it always like a passion thing for you? Not at all. I didn't want, actually, I, I refused to get involved in politics for three years because I, I did. Because
0: I, I was looking at your, at your stuff and you studied business. So how does a guy go from <laughs> business to being one of the top yeah.
1: staffers? I actually started. Doing my bachelor's degree at uh, Concordia University, uh, majoring in marketing. I was playing football for the Stingers. Then I got a concussion and uh, I stopped playing, was trying to find an activity somewhere (laughs) to get involved. Got involved in student associations at Concordia um, for you know, the rest of my bachelor's degree. At one point, one of my friends called me up and he said, listen, uh, I'm doing this youth convention with uh, the Quebec liberals. Uh, Do you want to get involved? And I told him no. But he told me, he talked to me about this for like two or three years. And he was saying, you know what, get involved because you're in student associations at Concordia for business. You're loving it. Um, That's what we're doing Mm -hmm. In the youth wing Of the Quebec Liberal Party So why don't you go contribute And I was like I don't need this Like Mm -hmm. why Why would I go And after three years I accepted to go To that youth convention And uh, being in charge of Finances, (laughs) Finances, <laughs> which basically means you know, um, you know, work the bar and make sure that uh, everything balances out, and uh, you know, doing a, do a spreadsheet with uh, expenses and revenues, and that was it. This is at the youth wing, yeah, the, party, yeah. the youth wing in two thousand three, and then um, after that experience, I actually fell in love, you know, with the the whole political thing, and then I got involved in the, at the party, and a year later. Yolande James, who was um, a staffer for then Minister of Health and Social Services, Philippe Couillard, she decided to run in the Nelligan riding in Montreal. And she was a staffer. So she was a political advisor to Philippe Couillard. Mm-hmm. And uh, my first day at, in government was September 20th, 2004, when I replaced Yolande, Yolande James, James <laughs> as a political advisor at Mr. Couillard's office. So that was my first day. And my first day on the job was the first day, was the day she was elected MA for Neligan. Wow. Yeah. That's how I started, which was completely not my objective. Cause I studied marketing. My my dream job was to work at Nike or yeah. Reebok or Adidas or for the Canadians. Yeah. That was I wanted to be a brand manager. Yeah. And then uh, I just, I stayed there from 2004 to 2012, then moved on to other things, but stayed in politics. And every, tr- every time I tried to leave, <laughs> it never worked. Uh, I've said that before <laughs> also. It, it, it's, it's like a
0: drug and um, uh, you try to come out and it's very difficult because the work that you do and the environment that you're involved in, it consumes so much of your energy, so much of your effort. There's things that you're working on that you won't see the result tomorrow or after tomorrow in in the back of your mind you know that it's coming in a year or two years so you're working long term and one not only is it difficult to replace someone that has been involved in this process for a long time um but it's difficult to find someone that will come in and just pick up from day one right mm-hmm. and that you kind of you're, you're conscious of that of that reality and you're always thinking okay who's gonna who's gonna do this if i leave yeah. who's gonna come in I have this pending I have that pending I'm working on this right now Uh, who's going to explain, like, there's so many things going on simultaneously that there's almost like a guilt that you, you feel bad leaving, you know, and it just pulls you back in. I've spoken to, to many, many, uh, people in politics that have, that had wanted
1: to leave and they just couldn't. Yeah. They were just stuck, stuck in, you know, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, I got, I stayed on because I was passionate about serving others. Exactly. Um, Getting involved in student association <laughs> at Concordia uh, made me understood that you basically get rewarded when other people progress. Mm-hmm. You you feel useful. Uh, you're trying to build projects and help others. So in that sense, I thought I thought politics was giving me that. Yeah. Um. My parents uh, actually. My dad was a professor. Um. For um. People with. Uh, you know, learning disabilities or difficulties. Um, So he was always on, he was, he had, he was uh, teaching in uh, secondaire 5 and he had students that were, or secondaire 2 also. And he was, he had students that were adults basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he was always in the mindset of helping others, you know, get the better version of themselves. My mom was working with people with uh, intellectual disabilities. So at a young age, I was exposed to the Mm -hmm. fact that, you know, we all we're born we're all born but we're not equal mm-hmm. and we need to have a level playing field so that we can develop and after that i got involved in different stuff like music and choir and um you know i i, I traveled and at one point i told myself you know what May, maybe the student association was one you know one way to get involved but wow by getting involved in politics uh, being just a staffer or even a person with a, you know, a QLP card, Mm -hmm. um, that I could, I could actually propose ideas Mm -hmm. that would, that might work for others. So that's, that's why I was doing this.
0: It's interesting that you say that because I was never involved in politics either. I studied politics, but just because I liked it and I enjoyed it, but I was conscious while I was studying that there was no way in hell that I would do anything related to politics when I came out of university. And that was a bit of a stressful moment for me because I was thinking, okay, what's next now? Okay, I'm finishing university. What do we, what do, we do? I fell into politics. Uh, it, it was a stroke of luck, basically, that brought me into politics. But I realized once I was in politics that there was this whole other world. And I was so impressed to see that we had enormous uh, an enormous group of youngsters that were involved. And like you said, uh, we're interested in proposing ideas and just intelligent kids, yeah. you know? Yeah. I and I, I missed out on that completely yeah. i had no idea that even existed
1: yeah
2: um
1: but the difficulty we have today in 2019 is that when at the time i got involved um i felt that um kids my age were idealists and we wanted to change the world yeah. now i guess cynicism is really high so it's kind of tough to bring people in and make them you know, feel like they're contributing for real. Yeah, you know that's the that's the
0: politics has gotten yeah. a bad rap.
1: True, and then yeah. you know, the, then the media doesn't help obviously sometimes, and politicians they don't help themselves. Mm-hmm. And then when you're a staffer or you're somebody that wants to get involved, um, you, you're not you're not listening because you know what? Before it was focused on, you know, I'm a liberal or I'm a PQ or I'm a ADQ or a CAC or I'm a separatist or I'm not. And today people are more interested in causes, like the environment, yeah. healthcare, uh, immigration, well, that's economic changed, development. Yeah. And it's changed completely the political landscape. Yeah. I and mean, then and then you can you can get in you don't have to get involved in a political party no, to have an impact on the world. Yeah. So why do it? So that's the question that you know different parties have to ask themselves. Like, what are we doing to get good ideas from people who are interested? are invested in different types of uh, causes and how do we make them stay instead of going somewhere else to fulfill that? Well, that was my question I was going to ask
0: you. I mean, there's a question of loyalty afterwards. I mean, you have a wave of supporters. Are they here because they, they believe in our ideology? They believe in the party? They believe in what we're proposing or are they just here because we have one or two or three popular ideas that they just want to get behind? Um, Uh, There
1: are different reasons to get involved. Um, I got involved in the Quebec Liberal Party because I admired uh, Jean Charest as a politician. I admired. I second that. Um, <laughs> I admired uh, Lucien Bouchard. I admired Robert Bourassa. Um, yeah, I was telling you earlier. I was in a choir. I actually. The, I was 14 years old, but I actually sang at the funeral of Robert Bourassa. No way. Yeah, and at the time I was 14, and or 14 or 15. I, I do not. Remember, I actually didn't know who he was yeah. i wasn't interested in politics at yeah. all, so these people were really impressive to me yeah. and um we, I got involved in two thousand and three at the beginning, but two thousand and one I saw the terror attacks, uh, I saw the reaction of, uh, you know, the world, and I got interested in that stuff. So I, that's why I, I started to get involved. But people, they're getting involved because they're inspired by something. Either it's uh, the leader, it might be uh, the fact that they see inequality in their own life and that they just want to get involved somewhere to make that change, or their friends are going to bring them to uh, one activity, two or three, and then at one point you're going to get involved and you, you're, you're there. So the, diff- the reasons are different. Mm-hmm. But I guess the objective that that uh, you have, which is to change the world, uh, that's common to everyone. I don't
0: know, for sure. I mean, look, th- the way I see it is that um, as long as you're involved, it's a positive thing. Yeah. But what changes now, and it's what you are saying before, um, it's very confusing, especially for parties. For example, you know the Liberal Party now they're they're, they're in this whole restructuring phase, and it's complicated. It's complicated because they don't know um, who's behind them, who to go get, why should they get them, and, and like everything has been completely changed in the political landscape in Quebec.
1: Same thing for the PQ.
0: Everything, yeah. Yeah. I think I think all parties are are experiencing that, except obviously for the ones that you know, that, that 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 saw this growth pattern and just pretty much
1: because it was um, it was a wave of support, right? Yeah, you're right. but you know what the the growth uh, doesn't mean that you don't have to ask yourself questions no so that you're to find your own identity mm-hmm. because I don't think that the last election was about um, the CAC being uh, the best thing that ever happened to Quebec. The, I think the last election was about um, some bad choices or decisions made by the government. Um, some of it that had to do with the fact that liberals were there for 15 years. Um, Another fact that uh, the CAC became an alternative instead of the PQ, Mm -hmm. which was really weird at one point. Mm -hmm. The fact that the PQ decided to take their separatist agenda and put it aside, so they lost a lot of votes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a couple of things that made that happen. But if you ask the Quebecers, they'll probably say they're satisfied with the government. That's what the polls show. But at the same time, if you ask them what is the DNA of the CAC, I don't think they know. Nobody knows. I'm, I'm rather going to say they're nationalist, but what does that mean? You know? <laughs> what does that mean, being Like, mm-hmm. uh, What exactly does it, does it mean language? Does it mean uh, restricting uh, individual liberties for others to, so that we can assert ourselves in the world? Uh, what does it mean exactly? I, I'm not too sure about that. So they, have, they still have to define themselves. And Québec solidaire, they have to define themselves as a credible alternative to a CAC government and they can stay to the left, but they need to have economic credibility mm-hmm. and they have to build something. So everybody's got something to, to work on.
0: But see, look, I agree with you with a CAC and I think one of the smartest things that Legault uh, did was to um, was uh, was to, to announce that they weren't a separatist party. Yeah, He came out and I think that from that point, that was the turning point of the party, because that was the confusion. I remember even back in 2014, we used that, <laughs> we used it, we, we milked it, you know, uh, and it was a real confusion. And, and we paired that with back then, you know, the whole uh, charter of values that the PQ wanted to propose. So it was kind of like a package deal, mm. you know, the PQ, CAC, same thing. And, uh, he saw that and they changed. And I think that for that, uh, that, that, at that moment, everything kind of shifted for them. Um, yeah, the 15 years is obviously one thing that comes up a lot. But the, the Quebec Solidaire, I, I find it mysterious because, yes, they're in the left. The, I think they're in the radical left. Uh, but, you know, that whole economic credibility, which I think is the most important one, I feel like their supporters don't really care, care about, about that. They don't care. They well, don't, they're, it's it's more the ideology. It's the movement. It's, yay, let's, you know, they're getting the the... You know, the ground uh, support uh, of just people that want to create a change and, Mm -hmm. you know, provoke a movement. Right. So they
1: they won the elections based on the environment. You're right. Well, that's the reason why they have to work on their DNA, because... um if you want to be a governing party, well, you need to appeal to more people, obviously. You have to keep your values that... Uh, what you, Your political action is based on values. So for Quebec Solidaire, they have to stay on the left. I mean, uh, in France, you have uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, uh, you have uh, Les Socialistes, mm-hmm. uh, you have different parties that are that are on the left. Being on the left is not that bad. I mean, it's not bad. It's a, it's a valid uh, way to see the world. Mm-hmm. But if you cannot back it up with common sense, concrete... Um, economic backing and consider what people think so that they don't believe that you're only based on the ideology, mm-hmm. well, then, you know, the, the the more you get credible, the, the better it is for them. And the, the real thing is that in Quebec, it's true. I mean, we've been separated by a federalism and, sep- and the separatists, and it's only been that. When you talk to the United States and you look at the Republican Party, I don't know what they're proposing, but I know their philosophy. Mm-hmm. And the Democrats, same thing. If you look at uh, Les Républicains, which is uh, more on the right side in France, or uh, Le, Le, Le Mouvement de Marine Le Pen, uh, it's also on the right. The Socialists also. I don't know what they're all proposing, but I know where they stand. Mm-hmm. In Quebec, since we were always based on Federalists and Separatists, um, who's who? Québec solidaire, they're on the left, that I know. Mm-hmm. The CAC, I'm not too sure. Uh the liberals, they're more center, sometimes center left, sometimes center right. So it's not, the political landscape is not clear in Quebec at all. No. At the federal level, it is, but not here. And you were mentioning earlier about the, the CAG, you know, with their federalist approach. Um, You know what? I, I've been, because in my old in my old job with uh, Premier Couillard, my job was to be the link between Quebec and the federal government. Uh, so the Prime Minister Trudeau's office and also with different um, premier's offices all around the country. Mm-hmm. And since uh, Premier Legault got in, um, they think he's a good guy, but they don't think that he's actually working to make our federation better. Um, Trump was saying in, uh, he was saying America first, right? I think Legault has this mentality where he goes Quebec first, which is good for me in a sense, but it cannot be Quebec first and Quebec alone, Yeah, right? So. I mean, his predecessor, Mr. Couillard, had a vision where we were saying, we need to make Quebec better, but we, make, we need to make that country better also. And it's important as well. So uh, I don't see right now a desire from that government to be a, you know, an actor of change in the Federation and to make it better. So if they sold uh, to Quebecers that no referendum, Quebec is strong within Canada, that's fine. But the next step is to see if they're going to contribute so that the, the country can advance in the, the right way. Mm-hmm. And that's that remains to be seen. Well,
0: look, there's still a new party, right? True. Um, but w- one thing's for sure is that, you know, like you said, politics was always very polarized in Quebec between mm-hmm. Federalist and Separatist. And that's why I think he was very intelligent of occupying that space of the true alternative, which is why he passed. And I think that's where... Mario Dumont probably failed back in the 90s because he aligned himself with the separatist movement. I think had he not gone with them in 95, perhaps the cap wouldn't even exist. I think the ADQ would have grown and occupied that space. Mm. Um, It's going to be interesting
1: to see how things evolve. My first election in 1998 that I had the eligibility to vote, I voted ADQ. Yeah. (laughs) I did not even vote liberal. Mm -hmm. So because I felt he was young, I liked the whole idea of... uh, you know um of having a strong quebec within canada uh of uh, asking for demanding you know certain powers um and just being a collaborative type of partner for other provinces um so obviously i mean the the, the government has been there since october um obviously i did not vote for them I, i'm liberal but uh quebec liberal but i uh, i figure you know we we got to give them a chance i mean the um, if they're doing well and Quebec's doing well, well, we're all doing well. So what's the objective of being involved in politics? That, that gets back to the first question we were talking about. I mean, I, I'm not there. Personally, I'm not involved. I wasn't involved in politics only to win. I was involved in politics to make Quebec better. Mm-hmm. So if another party is there and are proposing stuff that, you know, makes our lives easier, well, fine. Yeah, that's the way life works. I agree with you, and
0: you know, a lot of my friends came up to me and told me you know, after the election, "Oh my God, uh, what's going to happen? Uh, is it the over- is it the end?" And you know, for me, the comparison is, you know, I, I bring it back to 2014 w- when we lost to the PQ, and the difference between now and 2014 is that automatically you saw that there was an instability because of what they were proposing, because of the fact that they are a separatist group, a uh, party, uh, foreign investors. Uh, kind of held themselves back things kind of slowed down and you know we got to you know at at the end of the day we have to admit that that 18 month period that they were in power I mean you can't really do that much damage but we did see uh, a significant drop in investments and in economic growth and for me at the end and that's where I compare it to today where you know this new party has taken over and I'm thinking are they uh, is there a negative point here? Is 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 there any instability anywhere in the horizon? And mm-hmm. I don't think so. So on that, uh, you know, uh, on, from that point of view, you know, like you said, give them a chance. I mean, I don't think they're going to repulse the investors. I don't think the economy is going to slow down. I think we were very uh, diligent enough in the last four years to take care of the economy. And we saw with the recent budget that came out, even they admit the fact that, you know, the numbers are so good that we're thankful that we're able now to, uh, to to have the budget that they that that they tabled, and you know, I, I don't think it's going to be that
1: tragic or as tragic as people think. Well, I I, I was talking to some uh, some different friends and uh, also in the media, and I was tell, I was saying that it was the easiest budget. Oh my god! That it, that the government had to make in the last I don't know maybe ten or fifteen years, honestly, when you think about it. And but you know, with that comes an added pressure for them to make the right decisions but more importantly to come up with results mm-hmm. because i mean the when you come when you say bouchard came in uh, in 19 uh, after the referendum he became the leader of the pq um the, you know there was a big deficit i mean the the finances were terrible he won the election in 98 and we, they called that the deficit zero which was really hard but at the end of the day i mean he he did the job he did the job. He did it. He did it well. So uh, at starting from that point and all the way to Monsieur Coulard, uh, who did the same thing, I mean, these people uh, that go right after it, Bernard Landry uh, in 2003, when the election came along, uh, he was saying in, a, I don't know if you saw the movie, uh, Dame but he was saying, listen, the, the finances are going well. The economy is going well. Jobs are going well. Uh, so we're going to, you know, bring down income taxes or we're going to, you know, we're going to give relief to the middle class. That's what we're going to do. And that was his old plan, but he's still lost. Right. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Mr. Legault has all the cards now, it's it's an added pressure because in four years, people are going to say, listen, you had the best scenario. So what exactly did you do mm-hmm. and what are the results? How is my life better now? Uh, do we have an economic crisis that's on the horizon? Who knows? I don't know. I think they have a competent team. Um, I'm just, I just don't know if, um, like every government, like I don't know if at the end of four years he'll be able to say that uh, everything was done the way he wanted to, and all his, uh, all his promises were, you know, they, they, that he he did what he promised us to to do, right? So. It's um it's easy to make that budget, but it's tough because the expectations they're really high now.
0: The expectations are definitely high, and I was following yesterday all the analysis. Um, you know, the guy really came out and flexed his muscle and said, "Look, this is what we're going." And of course, like you said, he had the the leeway to do it because of what he had inherited as an economy. The fear that a lot of people are are expressing is that you went so much so so fast that. Uh, in the following years, are you gonna be able to sustain that right? Um, that's the big question mark yeah uh, I mean, there's an increase in uh, government spending, uh, which is quote unquote a good a good thing, but the following year, I think they're back to three four percent yeah
1: so i mean there's there there's a there's a lack over there yeah Who's, but it, yeah the, 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 that's um that's a problem that every government has i mean at the end of the day, if you decide to raise Uh, different type of spending are you going to be able to finance it the years after and then if somebody a new government comes along and do you have to cut off something like where are you going to take the money from like that's the question that always comes up but but you know what that i think he's trying to they're trying to have a clear distinction between uh their predecessors and themselves obviously um specifically on Themes that are really important to him, like education, healthcare, and the elders, and you know, they talked a little bit about the economy, which were a couple of things that are good, by the way. But they really talked about people because one. Uh, what we heard in the last uh, election also was, um, you guys did really well with numbers, and we thank you for that. But for the people, you lost the base. You know, for the people, wh- what's the benefit here, mm-hmm. right? I think there were benefits but were we um what was the, the the previous government um really were we really good to tell people that actually something things were going well for them? I don't know. Did the people feel that it was going well all the time? I don't know. Obviously uh they might have felt that it was not going that well because uh I mean Well the message was clear. Yeah, the message was clear. But you were there. I mean, you were at the PMO. What was the what was the sentiment over there going into the election? Well, going into the election, um, one of the things that we had in mind was uh, we, in 2014, we came up with a plan and we had, we made commitments. And one of the things that was really, that, that really, you know, was really important to us was that um, a lot of times when new governments come in, they always say that the, the financial structure of the province does not allow them to respect the commitments that they've taken. Standard, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's a standard spiel. Yeah. They always say that. <laughs> but Mr. Kuya at the time was like, you know what, I'm going to go with different commitments and I'm going to make sure that in the next in four years, when the new election is going to come up, that we're going to have a clear, um, clear understanding of what's the status of our financial framework in Quebec so that people can understand where we're at. So the feeling was that, well, we had, we took commitments, we fulfilled the commitments. Um, you know, the, the whole thing with the budget and uh, what people, some people call austerity and stuff, it, it wasn't a choice that, uh, we wanted to make. Mm-hmm. It was a choice that we had to make. Yeah. And I remember Mr. Couillard, uh, got elected in uh april 2014 i remember him being on the phone in may 2014 talking to credit agencies in new york and telling them you know what uh, we're going to fix this and people were ready to to basically write us off you know with the credit rating so and we already had lost a little bit in the credit rating the year the year before so It was an obligation for us to do that. And I remember in September 2014, we went to New York uh, to the Climate Week conference. And we went to Bloomberg and had an editorial board there. And we were talking to these folks. And they were showing us that Quebec was, well, structurally in deficit uh, with debt and all that stuff. And Premier Cruyard said, you know what? I'm going to fix this. And they told him they, they said politically, it won't be good for you. Mm-hmm. But the thing I admired about premier Crial was that the fa- was the fact that he wasn't a politician um, there to be reelected all the time. like he he basically wanted to do the best thing that he felt that he had to do for the province so that in the short term, medium and long term that we would all be fine. Yeah. and he was you know he was ready to stay on principles instead of going for, well, you know, uh, you know, the polls say that uh, I should not be doing this or, so you know, since I want to get elected, for, uh, re-elected, and that's the number one priority that I have, well, I'll listen to the polls and I'll listen to X, Y, Z. So, I mean, it was tough. Mm-hmm. But in the following years, in 2015 and 16, we went back to Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. And the first year we, the province was in surplus. Uh, the Bloomberg folks told Philippe Couillard congratulations because we saw you came here in 2014 you told us that you had to do something that was difficult and you told us you were going to do it and when they saw him in 2016 they were like okay congratulations we didn't believe that you yeah. were able to do that so so that was that was the that that was the type of uh premier that Philippe cuillard was um a guy that was on principle a guy that wanted to respect his uh, what he said he wanted he's an honest guy um and a guy that wanted to fix the the structure the financial structure of the province and fix the economy because his thinking was you know if the economy goes well we can finance everything you can be as generous as you want with everybody but if you don't have the money to back it or a plan or credible plan well it, you're it's going nothing nowhere. Yeah. you're going nowhere so that's the way he saw it you know now, that's amazing see th- th- these these are the stories that uh, that
0: I that I want to share with people because uh, many people listening they don't understand what's going on backstage, right? Yeah. They don't understand the work that's involved. Um, they don't understand the sacrifices. They don't understand how people think, uh, how a certain decision came about. Um, and uh, it's amazing to hear that. Even for me, I mean, we, I knew he went to New York to the climate. Yeah. I didn't know there was there was yeah. that kind of stuff happening in these sort of conversations. Um, look this is how i I've always felt about uh, mr Couillard because I got to know him in 2007 that's when I started and he was the health minister at that time and I saw him as a man who was very like cerebral right he was um, uh, a very uh, a very concentrated man um socially a little bit awkward I have to i have to admit but he always struck me as a man who um we need, we're, we're at point a we need to get to point B how do we do it that, that that very very mechanical in the way he thinks and the way that he proceeded in doing his his business and i don't think there's ever been a, a health minister that has been uh in that position for as long as he had he mm-hmm. was untouchable mm-hmm. of course he knew the the health uh, the, the health system better than anyone else um and which is why we support him i mean we were one of his earlier supporters in his um mm-hmm. in his leadership race uh and you were there of course as well yeah um And everybody, I I remember, I remember meeting people and leaders in the community that were saying, look, he's the wrong guy. He's the wrong guy. Uh, And I remember a lot of people telling us, you got to back Moreau, who's, who's an amazing politician, very different style. Mm. Um, But he was very convincing. And it's what you're saying. Uh, And I'm just going back to, uh, to how we felt when we were supporting him. He was very convincing in his approach and his strategy and the things that he wanted to move forward. Um, and it was very difficult after you met him
1: to not be on the same page. It was very difficult.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I understand that feeling. The, the good thing about um, at that time in the Quebec Liberal Party was that uh, we had uh, a lot of talent. We still do today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot of talent. So, Monsieur Moreau was a, a great candidate. Great candidate. Uh, Monsieur Bachand also. There were other people that were thinking about running, which they didn't yeah. at one point. But there was a lot of talent there. Um, the, but you know what? The thing is, it's a weird thing in politics because, um, you know, as individuals, we want people that are straight, that have principles, values, and that tell us the things as they are, right? But when you're, you're an opposite, when you're the adversary, your job, one of your jobs is to define that person. So, you you were saying that you know some people thought that uh, uh, Mr. Kuya might have been cold or mm-hmm. distant or something like that. I knew I know him personally, and he's not like that. No, I know. I know that the public persona, and I've seen like that. I recognize that. But you know, when the his adversaries politically taxed him of being cold, distant, um, not he's not listening to anyone. He only thinks that he's right. Um, you know, that that's basically a positioning where you're you're trying to take one of his best qual his best qualities and turn it into something negative. yeah, and he's you know the, the his adversaries politically, honestly, they did a great job of doing that because um, it I saw this man uh, be I was telling you about the Bloomberg. I remember also during the different negotiations concerning the the new NAFTA deal. Uh, we went to Washington and he met with two secretaries of President Trump, which were um, Wilbur Ross, secretary of commerce, and also uh, Sonny Perdue, secretary of agriculture. And during those meetings, it, it's crazy because that Mr. is he's a neurosurgeon, right? So he's a smart guy. Everybody knows that, understands that. But um, maybe in a, you know, in a rally, a partisan rally, you don't see that as something That's always inspiring, let's say in a speech. But I can tell you that in those meetings, when you have a premier that is interested in every subject, that is quick and smart and understand things and can make relations with different things, it makes up for, you know, some meetings that are, you know, pretty passionate. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I heard him defend the, I heard him defend our dairy producers in a way that i haven't heard him or anybody else before that yeah. and he was talking to a secretary of agriculture who is a respected man yeah. uh who lived uh i believe in indiana if i if i recall and he was governor i believe and this guy was came from the rural place uh, knew everything about that subject and in front of him he had someone that actually understood everything also so that was you know, those are moments that are backstage mm-hmm. um, and that you don't see in the media, no. that we can't really talk about it while it's happening, mm-hmm. because that's not the point. But I saw him do stuff that, honestly, I was kind of surprised. Another example for you is that in last June, we President Macron came to to Quebec mm-hmm. and to Montreal, and we had a meeting. We had met with President Macron before, but um, President Macron was going to the G7 summit and they were talking about uh, you know the aluminum crisis and mm-hmm. what's happening with the tariffs and yeah. stuff and and without going into the details of that conversation because that's pretty confidential but but Mr. Kual suggested something to President Macron uh, for the G7 summit and I saw him take a pen write it down and say Philippe it's a pretty good idea i didn't think about that one mm-hmm. and so that those are the types of relationships he was building in terms of in terms of credibility Towards others, and yeah. I saw that with Al Gore. I saw that with the president of Senegal, with the FME, with the OECD. Mm-hmm. Like, so, he was well respected, and that's where I got interested in international relations and you know the image of Quebec and how how are we understood outside of our own bubble and why Canada or our relationships with other provinces and uh, how it's important. That's why I was mentioning earlier the whole thing about Quebec. Has to be it has to be Quebec first, but it has to be a credible partner to make the federation work, mm-hmm. and that's that's where uh, I mean we have to focus on right now.
0: It's it's interesting that you mentioned that you changed and you went to 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 take over the international relations department at the PMO, and I was going to ask about that because you're a guy that's always done communications. Um, you've worked in many many departments since 2004, uh, either in uh, you know as a communications advisor or even. As a chief of staff or deputy chief of staff, so you have uh, ample experience. And I always felt that you know you placed your bet uh, in the right candidate coming going into the leadership. Ended up becoming premier. Was the plan for you always to do communications, or did you aspire maybe uh, to be uh, you know chief of staff or deputy chief of staff? And how how did that transition happen? I mean, how do you take all that experience in communications and in the management? and going into international like what was the what was the link i know that you just said that you were interested in the international relations well i but- got
1: i wasn't at the beginning i, I was um i worked uh, as a press secretary for different ministers as you mentioned and uh during the leadership campaign i was doing media yeah uh, during the election campaign of 2014 um i remember being on the bus with the premier well the then i guess leader of the opposition mm-hmm. And being on the bus with him maybe two or three days before the election date, and he talked to me and he said, listen, I uh, I, I see the polls. Uh, we might win. Never sure. But I just want to tell you that if you're interested, uh, I would like for you to work uh, with me at the premier's office if we win um, and be my uh, spokesperson and director of communications If if you're interested. And I remember telling myself, I'll never be able to do that job. That was my first thing. And I told him. I but was you like, had done that previously. Yeah, but it's not the same thing. <laughs> in my head, because being at, the, at the, the premier's yeah. office, <laughs> it's not It's not the same thing. It's yeah. a big thing. When I started in 2014, I was looking at the director of communications of Premier Charest, and I was like, this is the smartest guy on earth. Yeah, yeah I, I remember and, him. And you know, I that Hugo D'Amour, his name was. And I was like, wow, I, I would love to be like him. But I never thought that... A, that opportunity would come. And so I switched to international relations because during the span of total in four years, I think we went outside of Canada about 47 to 50 times. Oh, my God. So, I mean, we went to China twice, to Cuba, to Israel, to Senegal, to France, to Germany, uh, you know, uh, London. Well, London, I mean, Great Britain, um, to the States, uh, there's a lot of places that we went to, and Switzerland. And when I when I saw that, the the interesting thing was that at the premier's office, you have to understand that the premier is there. There's a chief of staff, and there are different you know advisors that work on different files. So you have one that work. That they work on health the other one on the environment the other one the economy mm-hmm. and what I thought was interesting about international relations is that it's not a vertical type of subject it's horizontal mm-hmm. So I could go we went to China in January 2018 and it was fun because we we had brought you know a business delegation of 200 businesses. Mm-hmm. And they were in different sectors. Uh they were in winter sports, construction, green construction, like it was it was literally like different types of uh of businesses. And at the same time, the next day, um, we would be signing um, um uh signing a, a a um a deal with uh the, the Chinese government on uh, culture, you know. <laughs> yeah. At, that was weird at La Cité Interdite with the Minister of Culture of China. So, yeah. they, so I, would, I would talk about business, then talk about, you know, uh, culture, then uh, talk about IT, then talk about in, uh, uh, intelligence, artificial intelligence. And then so that was crazy. So I could talk about anything. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? Instead of doing communications and following the premier everywhere, when I mean everywhere, it's mean Quebec, uh, Montreal, that is going to Gaspésie and coming back. I mean, I have a personal life also. So I figured, you know, what's really interesting to me is really the international stuff. Mm-hmm. It's horizontal. And the G7 was coming up the year after. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to just concentrate myself on Canadian relations international relations, and this would allow me to talk about every subject. Mm-hmm. So I'll still be stimulated in that sense, and I'll be able maybe to work out some stuff. I, In June 2018, uh, the Premier Couillard and President Macron signed a joint declaration on the Quebec, France on artificial intelligence. But as a director of international relations, not in communications, my job was to work with Élysée to come up with that declaration and we worked together we had different discussions and at the end of the day I, I saw them sign the thing and uh, announce it and it's a collaboration that's going to last for you know the couple of years there it's good for businesses it's good for our researchers it's good for Montreal for Quebec as a whole mm-hmm. so those are the types of concrete um, you know topics where I could make a difference mm-hmm. and coming back to what we were saying the same thing you got in the same reason why you got involved it was to change the world, right? Mm-hmm. So in my in my head, I was contributing so that others could change the world with AI mm-hmm. internationally and partnering up with friends. I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask you while you were saying that.
0: I was thinking about, you know, how does uh, how does all these thing get prepared? Like, what? Let's see. You, you went to China with two hundred businessmen. How does this work? Who's behind all this? Who's putting all this together? Is is that like someone like you, or is it just? Um, uh, people over there that organize and you just participate. I mean, this is what's interesting to me. How does all this come up, come well, together?
1: It's a, I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge project. And um, there's a lot of people who work on it. And um, the people from the, the people from the, the, that work for the government, which are civil workers, um, from the Ministry of International Relations to the Ministry of Economic Development, these folks are competent. Mm-hmm. They, la fonction publique, yeah. they call it in French. service. Yeah, you know they're, they're smart, they're committed, they're competent, and uh, so on the business side, the, the minister, the Ministry of the Economy has a section that is called Export Quebec, exports, exports. So uh, they were recruiting different types of businesses. They have advisors that you know that uh, go to China with these folks, and they build. An agenda for them, which is composed of B two B meetings, um, cocktails, uh, uh, personal B's, personal meetings with businesses. So that's one part. The second part is that the Quebec has an international presence all around the world, and there's three or offices uh, in China, and there's a person that is in charge of all offices in China for Quebec. So that person is there all the time, and they basically make contacts diplomatically and on different areas so these people were working also on what the premier was going to do and at our office we had um we had a team of of people in charge of uh of uh i would say the operations or you know the the functioning of that whole thing um and we had a couple of people there and they were headed by a brigitte Fortier, who is a competent smart woman and uh, uh, so she was working with those ministries, working with the people in China. And I was working in my things also with those ministries and stuff. So when we built in a span of two or three months, an agenda and uh, activities, and we all went there and every day from morning to night, we had something to do. And it's 12 hour, 15 hour, hour days, you sleep maybe three or four, but your adrenaline is flowing. Mm-hmm. So... You know, you, you, stand, you stand up. And every time you wake up in another country and you're representing Quebec, there's something that is... There's a is, sense of pride too. Right? There is. There is a sense of pride. And you're also responsible or, you know, you're kind of thinking, well, you know what? Um, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to be straight. I'm going to be as pleasant as possible. I'm going to try to be, you know, polite, competent. And because we're representing the people at home, uh, although i'm just a staffer but i felt i mean i felt that i had a responsibility to get to you know to to help the the quebec's reputation internationally to be as as uh, as good as it can be i felt that i was that was my responsibility although i'm not i'm not an elected official i mean i'm i'm not a personality i'm not but a you know yeah, yeah but
0: yeah. see this is this is the thing right the politicians are usually the the person Front stage, right? True. There's such a huge machine in the back that nobody understands. See, like everything that you're saying right now, there's a lot of people that don't understand that Quebec has this presence worldwide, that yeah. they have all this machine working on um, getting Quebec exposed, creating business and economic uh, relationships, yeah. education, culture, whatever you want, yeah. uh, that Quebec has different delegations all over the world that, yeah. are, that are working hard at creating these opportunities. Um, it, there's just so much happening and everyone just sees, you know, the front man. And, you know, I mean, it's our job to make that front man look the best possible. Yeah. Uh, and there's just so much that goes into
1: it. Well, I always felt, I told that to Premier Cuillard at the time. I always felt that my job was to be an extension <clears throat> of him uh, to the people outside our office. That's That's what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And that's with the civil service, it was... The, the relationship with the civil service, it was outside uh, with other you know the people, staffers of of uh, governors in the U.S. or the Elysee people, or that that's what I was that was that's what I was trying to do. And I mean, the elected official is important, and it's you know that people focus on him or her specifically, but that person cannot do anything without a surrounding cast that will not only work tons of hours but really understand um his psychology how he works what he likes or not it's a unit how right? he thinks yeah. you know and your job is basically to think about um, ahead of him of things he's going to come up with mm-hmm. and that way you, you can you can serve him well because you, your job is to serve the premier right and in your head you're you're not i mean I've never been partisan that much and in my head I wasn't serving Philippe because I appreciate Philippe uh Kuya I was serving the institution which is the premier of Quebec mm-hmm. and the premier of Quebec represents all of us those who voted liberal at that time those who didn't and in my head it was a it was um it was a privilege for sure because
0: look there's partisanship yeah. but then once you get in there's an obligation oh. to serve everyone right uh and you know you, you kind of put your colors aside and you're there to do the job yeah and it's a huge job
1: the, but it's the, tough you know, to put the know. color aside i don't know how you yeah. did but it's tough sometimes
0: you know but, like, like you i was yeah. never i was never a big partisan either uh, yeah. i mean for us working more locally i was just at a writing level but our mentality is much different i mean the same way that you, you know you guys are working on the missions and you know working on the different projects Day one after the elections, we were working on winning the next election. Yeah, you understand? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was difficult because as you're as you're thinking about that uh, strategically, right? Okay, well, how can we, you know, uh, look at the numbers? Where did we do bad? How can we do better? Who can we work with? Um, you're still uh, obliged to to serve the people that don't vote for you, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. So there's that kind of uh, meshing that happens, um, but there's still the work happening in the background. And it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort, like you said before. It's it's a huge sacrifice. It takes a toll on the family, on the friendships. I mean, you know. And the thing is
1: that you you get affected personally. That's the that's the that's. I don't know for you, but one of the most difficult thing being backstage for me was the fact that some reporters or journalists they were they were. They were telling me that and sometimes I was kind of impatient when I was in communications because I was frustrated about, you know, the title of the article and the way they were bringing it. But I took it really personally. yeah. and at one point when they were attacking Mesuukuya, it's like they were attacking me. Mm-hmm. like instead of, you know, saying, this is my job and I was telling earlier it's not a job, it's a commitment. Yeah. So it, it's it to distance yourself from the personality of the person of the your boss, let's say it's tough of course it's really tough well because you're involved with that person almost
0: well i don't want to say 24 hours but you know not far from that yeah like you said how did you manage
1: that like i I thought it was tough
0: (sighs) look we we went through our own storm right um it's it's not easy and of course it it affects you i don't know how we
1: did it honestly i I don't know how i did it Um, you're just trying to survive these things but it's kind of sometimes you have to separate you, you know yourself and just have the you know the worker and then the person but that's divided. A, but that's the other thing I
0: um, about politics that I uh, that I noticed is that very quickly you develop a hard shell, and you learn that whatever negative comes has to bounce off you. If you take that in, it's gonna drag you down, and you know, in no time, you're gonna look horrible. You're gonna well, look, you're
1: gonna look miserable. But you know what? I failed at that. You did? I literally failed at that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think because uh, the thick skin is what you said. It's you know, being able to understand that it's gonna bounce back. But I would that see that's one thing I learned from the backstage is that uh, I cannot take it personally. Um. When they're when they when somebody's attacking our government or my boss or on a personal level, they're not attacking me, mm-hmm. and I have to be level-headed about it. Look, I, I wasn't, I wasn't exposed
0: as you were uh, to that much, uh, you know, media attention. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think from a young age, I developed this ability to just
1: ignore. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm ignore, not ignore my parents, ignore my siblings, just <laughs> ignore everything that I didn't want. You know, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't like that. No, I was kind of. I was the opposite. But it's tough. I it's it, and and like you said, because there's so much effort
0: put into everything that you do in politics. The minute that there's something that comes against what
1: you're doing or against what you're thinking, um. Of course, it affects you. But you know what? I I didn't when some when someone does something wrong in the government or anywhere, um, you know, in that in that um, in that uh, in that sphere. I mean, I I don't care if they get trash really, because sometimes they deserve it. Yeah, they really like sometimes they do it sometimes decisions are made that are terrible and you know the empathy is not there and the strategically is terrible and when a person says it's bad so i was never mad at that i was mad when in my view you did the good were, thing they were well, yeah they or yeah. they were attacking character yeah uh, personally you know either the opposition you know or anybody else like when i felt that it was unjust and I knew that person was genuine and sincere and everything, that was I would piss me off. It would. And that's when I got, you know, kind of difficult. And instead of having a hard shell, like you were saying, where it would bounce off, I would become cold. Oh yeah. <laughs> with these people, like completely cold. Because that was my way of fighting it. Mm-hmm. Because I told myself, you know, if I get emotional here, I might, I don't know, I might say something I'm gonna regret. Mm-hmm. And that was I was mentioning earlier. In my head, I'm an extension of my boss, so okay. I cannot be yeah. unpleasant. You got to measure um, up. Yeah, so the best thing I can do is basically be cold or maybe ignore or not talk. But that seemed like I was really pissed anyway. Yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes when you ignore people, it, it, it shows kept, others yeah. that you're pissed off. So it's not that great. Well, see, this is the thing about the
0: media. I mean, the op- forget about the opposition. The opposition has a job to do. So they're going to use whatever they have um, to portray you. In any way, they think that it's going to bring you down, but the media, the media just wants to create a reaction, right? So, uh, and I felt very often that, look, why aren't you reporting the story? Okay, look, this is what happened. This is where we were. This is what happened. This is where we are today. And I agree with you. You know, the personal things, it's cheap. It's a low blow. But again, it's creating a reaction, right? It's uh, we we need readership. We need traffic now on the websites. We need shares on the social media. So this is this whole like side industry that exists and it's who's gonna get the news first, um, who's gonna report it a certain way that it's gonna garner more attention. Um, it sucks, right? But it's also part of the deal.
1: In French, uh people were saying were saying to me, um uh si t'es pas capable, so what was it again? It was uh uh si t'es Pas capable de supporter la chaleur sort de la cuisine, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah yeah so I mean it comes with it. Um
0: and there's a lot of the heat. Main,
1: there is a lot of heat. Yeah. And, the, you know, it's difficult for reporters and, you know, the, in this age because of social media, because of the pressures that they they have. They have less time to do their job. And sometimes politicians and staffers, uh, we were frustrated because we believe that it was not done in a rigorous way. But in their head you know, it, it was done in rigorous rate, number one. And the other thing is they don't have all the time. They don't have four days to come up with something because a new cycle, you wake up in the morning, you listen to the radio. It's 15 minutes. Then Yeah. And then <laughs> you're at work and then the story changed. You came out of work, you come out of work and the story changed again. So the cycles are always coming. So these folks are under pressure all the time. Um, the other thing that uh, I I understand I got to understand to understand at one point is that I mean no one is neutral in life like no one so I don't expect the media to be neutral yeah I expect the media to be fair yeah that's the thing and sometimes if I'm not if I wasn't happy about an angle that was a reporter was taking it was only because I felt that it was it, it was a good thing to show the readers that there was another angle to it but maybe a strategy was to write something in that sense. And the other thing is, sometimes we, we were, you know, as backstage people, where you're frustrated with an article. But the fact is that the person who wrote it sent it to his boss, his or her boss, and that person basically changed the title and said, you know what, we're not going to use your thing. So, I mean, they're getting pressure from mm-hmm. everywhere. So the real debate here, I believe, is not, how the media reacts to politicians or me- politicians react to media i mean as individual, as citizens we have to be um aware and uh you know get our information from diverse sources did you ever did you ever confront a
0: journalist like did you ever call one up and say look man what are you doing what are you writing why yeah, would- yeah? often
1: yeah <laughs> Sometimes it went pretty bad. But sometimes it went well also. What I I was trying to do was to call them when I felt that in a factual way that something was wrong. Because when it's opinion-based, they won't listen to you. Mm -hmm. If it was me, I wouldn't listen to somebody Mm -hmm. else. But if I say, you know what, Uh, that number is wrong, that thing is wrong, Um, maybe we should change that because I saw this and here's the proof. (laughs) They would take it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're smart people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it, the tension is so high that sometimes it's uh, – when it's opinion-based, it's not uh, – that's why they call it spin, right? Yeah, yeah. Because backstage people uh, in press or they, what they do is that they spin their stuff. They, they basically take a situation and they try to call up reporters and they say, listen, this is the way we see it. So that if, if you ever talk about it on the radio, on TV, or you write about it, You'll know what we think about it. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to influence them to, to so to, that it sways yeah. in your way yeah. to write the story. But they're way. not. But they're not neutral. That that's the thing. If you expect media to be neutral, I mean, the, this you you're in the wrong business. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. The thing though is that maybe compared to I was talking earlier about um, the Democrats and the Republicans, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, say the media in the U.S. The New York Times, or Fox News, or CNN—you know what they stand for, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's clear. Um, here, sometimes in Quebec, it's kind of fuzzy. It's, it's between. It's kind of fuzzy because you don't know. We think that La Presse is more a federalist type of thing. We know the you know the owner of Quebecor is a separatist, so. Maybe uh Quebec is, but you don't have really proof of that. Um but when you're in France, when you read Libération, you know they're left. And you, when you read um when you when you read uh well, cheese, I forgot the name, um Figaro, you know they're on the right. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's not that clear in the media who's where. Well then it's a good thing though in Quebec.
0: Where you think you you would like you would you would prefer them to to
1: be to be open and say, uh, oh yeah. yeah, to have positions: red, right, le- uh, left, right, center. Well, to to yeah, <laughs> I actually went to a conference this morning, and some some one reporter was uh, talking about this, and she was saying she's from aPTN, and she was saying that um, she felt that um, um, it wasn't fair to the audience that um, some media some media. Uh, you know, anchors on TV or, you know, reporters, that they they weren't saying what angle they're working on. You know, so some people are more federalist, Some people are more separatist, Some people are more on identity politics. Some people... But when it's not clear, it's kind of like there's a piece of truth that is missing. Yeah. So that's what she was saying. And I was listening to that. And I was telling myself that that was pretty... That was a pretty sound uh, judgment about that. But, but I find
0: that the radio stations in Quebec... Are pretty well established in their positions.
1: You're right. You're right. Yeah, more so than the in paper. Quebec City also. Quebec City. Yeah, it's pretty clear. Yeah, yeah. but uh, on TV and uh, it's sometimes it's, uh, it's yeah, it's hard to gauge. Yeah, it's tough to gauge. But is it because it's really tough to gauge, or is it because that's I'm how tainted, they're supposed to be? But, but I'm tainted of 15 years or watching these people, uh, mic, you know, in yeah. the microscopic way and like right, microscopic.
0: Microcosmic, cosmic,
1: Geez. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Maybe it's because of that. You're that's so, why. That's why I'm trying not to read the uh, newspapers now. <laughs> it must be tough, man. You know, when
0: you're when you're out of the business or you know out of the out of the field. It, it it's and we're saying this before we went live. It's very difficult to adapt to, you know, what others consider reality. Right. I mean, our reality. Right. I mean, uh, and. You know, for me, I mean, there's so much time now and, you know, we're working on, you know, a family business with my wife and, and I just still feel that I, should I just be more involved? Should I go find something? I mean, what am I doing? You know, I can't wake up at eight and still be home at 10 kind of thing. Right. I mean, I don't know if you feel that, but it's very difficult for me to adapt in this new reality.
1: Uh, it's like, it's, it's, and it's like any type of activity. I mean, you, you got to find a purpose. Yeah. Uh, for the, for, from 2004 to 2018, my purpose was to wake up in the morning and try to work as hard as I can to convince people. that. Let's talk
0: about that. Give me, give me know, one day in your life. You know, the press had to show What time do you wake up? Back in the day?
1: <laughs> yeah. God, I would wake up at, uh, it depends, uh, 5.30, six, uh, read the newspapers, drive to work, um, meeting on the phone to see what's happening in the media and trying to define who's going to come out at what time and to speak about a subject in healthcare if there was an article or anything. Um, Meeting with the premier, uh, maybe at 8, 8 8.15, 8.30, to talk about question period, let's say. Um, Then deciding if he was going to talk to the media or not while walking to the caucus. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes he would stop, other times he wouldn't. When he would stop, we would talk about You know, what is he going to say and work with, you know, a small number of people on what's his angle? What's his response? What are the questions that could come out? um, What did the reporters write about this morning that could be asked while he's talking to them? And then we would go to caucus. He would go to question period. Then I would go back to my office and try to look at the agenda and see oh, we have an announcement tomorrow. We have a speech on the uh, tomorrow night. Uh, and then uh, on Friday, we have to go to, you know, we have a regional tour in Gaspésie. And on Saturday, we're leaving for Paris, let's say. So Just so I had prepare. to work on other stuff. Yeah. So I was trying to, when he was somewhere in a meeting or in the National Assembly, I was trying to advance different things with my team. And, um, and uh, I mean, at any time, that's the thing. At any time, uh, a reporter could be calling from anywhere in the world and ask us questions about, you know, different things. So we had to manage. We had to manage that thing also. So each and every day was different. That's what's fun about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a nine to five job where you, where you do the same things every day. The the things that you're doing every day are the things that are necessary, um, to so that your day can move forward. You know, <laughs> so every day the rep- the I'm gonna have to read the newspapers. It's like, you know, it's yeah, a two-inch like thing. A, yeah, like a dictionary. So. Every day you do that, so it, that's repetitive. But yeah. what's inside a newspaper is not repetitive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so at one point, you have to read all that stuff and try to make links on different things and understand. You know, I have an example in mind. I guess it, when I was working for a minister called Jean-Marc Fournier in 2007, 2008, I remember that in the morning we we were uh, on different calls with the, the premier's office uh, to see what was happening in the media. And at one point, I had read an article about... Um, about uh, the federal government who wanted to um have a, adopt a bill on gun control and when i went to the meeting i told them um i told them well uh, we're gonna get a question about by the media about what we're doing after what happened in the uh, english siege up in montreal yeah yeah so and they were like why are you saying that i'm like oh because uh in the national polls they wrote about that bill and I know that reporters are looking at that. So you might get a question because if we're talking about gun control in Ottawa, maybe we might talk about it here in Quebec. Yeah. So what's happening with the law that, we, that we're that we supposed to table? And, you know, what happened is that uh, my boss came out at the time, Jean-Marc Fonier, he was in charge of uh, the bills and, you know, mm-hmm. adopting bills and stuff. And one of the questions he got was exactly that. So the federal government is thinking about that. What about Quebec with what happened? Uh, what happened in Montreal? So, so those are the type of links you're trying to mm-hmm. make during the day to understand where to go and where can the, can the questions come from yeah. and what exactly is your reaction to that, right? Yeah, it's awesome. When you look back
0: at, at all these years, I mean, you, you've been doing politics since 2004. Um, such a long track record. I mean, is there anything, uh, I'm sure there's probably more than one, you know, like a situation that was so difficult and so challenging. Like, what's the moment that or moments that are are
1: just imprinted in you? I mean, that you, you're always going to remember, and they're always going to be there. Um, the terrorist attack in Quebec City and in, in the mosque. Yeah, because that was uh, that was frustrating on so many levels. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember that it was a Sunday night in January. Uh. I was in Quebec City, because I live there, um, watching TV. I was watching to <laughs> There was a commercial. I switched it to RDE. Then I saw a shooting in uh, Quebec City. So then I started listening to that. And when I heard, um, you know, there's a sniper, he just left. The police are tracking him down. People are hurt, but I don't know how many. And I was like, okay, I was but when they said it was done in a mosque or a centre culturel mm-hmm. I was like uh-oh we have a problem so mm-hmm. I stood up and actually the weird thing is that my phone was dead <laughs> and it was charging so when I opened my phone my phone exploded with text messages mm-hmm. emails i i put my <laughs> i put my suit on and i told my wife uh, i have to go she told me why i'm like oh we're going to have a long night trust yeah. me so then, called up people in Quebec, called up the premier that was in Saguenay, and then all went to the office. The premier took a he took a plane back to Quebec City. We did a press conference at like one a.m. Mm-hmm. with the mayor of Quebec. I slept, I think, at four fifteen, um, and I woke up at five thirty, and I was back at work at six fifteen because we had to think about a lot of stuff. We had to think about number one, the people mostly affected, which were. The victims and the people in the hospital and their families then we had to reassure the people in in quebec city number one and then in in um in uh, in quebec that uh, the situation was under control and they were secure mm-hmm. right and then after that we had to work with the different ministers and their ministries and hospitals and schools and try to see do they need more funding uh, what's happening uh, you know do we have uh, trauma situations the, what's happening you know and um, how do we manage the media in that? Mm-hmm. How do we use social media so that we can get our message out? Yeah um, how can how can we use TV? How, how do we do this? So I mean, that night was a long night. The next day there was a press conference, I think, in Quebec in the, the in the mayor with the mayor of Quebec um, at City hall. Um, and then the premier made a statement. Uh, at his office that was really official. Um, there was a ceremony in Montreal. There was a ceremony in Quebec. Um, that was huge because it was emotionally charged for all sorts of reasons. And at the end of the day, I mean, CNN came to Quebec City mm-hmm. to interview a lot of people concerning that, including uh, Premier Couillard on that thing. So that was the that was the... You know, I was doing communications. I mean, I was not the one that was actually attending to the needs of the people that are directly affected. But in a sense, I was contributing in my own capacity on trying to, you know, to reassure people that felt that, felt that you know, the world was upside down. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was the biggest moment I've ever, yeah, encountered. And it wasn't because of the job I was doing. It was because the, impact, the you- impact it had on, on so many people. That was tough, Mm -hmm. yeah, and not directly linked to politics necessarily either. It wasn't linked to politics. I mean, I, it wasn't linked to politics. My my only focus was, you know, how can we assure that people are okay, they feel secure, that cohesiveness, our society's cohesiveness Mm -hmm. is not broken, that the extremists on on both sides. Don't get all riled up. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we make sure that uh, you know that the city feels that um, on the and that's later. But I mean, on the international stage, you know, how are people going to perceive Quebec? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like what type of message does that send? You know, so and that was the last thing I was thinking about. But um, but still, those were all questions that we had to figure out in the short span Mm -hmm. and was everything I think that was one of the moments where um, premier was really recognized by everyone as a statesman Mm -hmm. because that's the type of person he is and he rises above those situations and it was fun it it was fun in a sense to have someone of this stature for um, to respond to those type of situations because I I at that time, um, with the people that were there, um, the best person to respond to that was him. Mm-hmm. And I don't, he did not expect that to happen, but I was glad that he was in office when that happened. What about
0: politically? Was there any, I don't want to say crisis, but anything huge happened politically that
1: that affected you? Uh, in a positional sense?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh. Not really. Honestly, I um, No, I was because, you know what? I wasn't. That's the weird thing. I was emotionally involved uh, concerning my boss. Mm-hmm. And I took it personally. Like we were mentioning earlier. Yeah, yeah. But for files, when you're at the premier's office, your job is to coordinate, you know, the action of the government, knowing that you have you're, you've named ministers and they have their staff. To make that happen mm-hmm. right so you have to coordinate it um so my job when i was in comms uh communications was uh you know to was not really i i think was not really to to to, to be uh be present in you know political pressures or uh, problems that we could have uh, i mean the, my job was to find uh was to find the way to so that our message could come out period yeah so I, I I took a situation as a new mandate. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: There's a problem with uh, that minister or that minister said that, or the the opposition is asking for, you know, for, um, <clears throat> for, for a uh, demission. So what are we reacting? Okay, fine. What's the context? Where are we going? Yeah. This is what we're suggesting. Uh, you go ahead and you do that. So I never. Like it almost like becomes it. mechanical at that point. After it has it to be in, mechanical. Yeah. It has to be mechanical because, it, and you got to think about all the possibilities. That's the thing that's a weird thing because in politics when you're backstage you're trying to figure out what is the worst thing that could happen it's <laughs> like then, this complicated math yeah, formula well you're like looking at the, it's like a chess match yeah. and you're thinking okay I cannot think no now maybe not two moves ahead maybe like I have to think about like six yeah. <laughs> and then I gotta figure out what's happening with the six and for each one I have to figure out what I have to do after that so that that's the way I was Built. Mm-hmm. That's the way I was thinking. So, uh, when something would happen, it wasn't a problem; it was a challenge. <laughs> Just because you have the experience as a communications uh, guy, I have
0: to ask you the whole issue right now at the federal government with SNC La Vallee. I personally think it's a non-issue, and I think that it's a huge communications fail. Uh, put yourself in their shoes. I mean, how and and it's it's obviously easy in retrospect to say what I would have done or how I would have reacted, but something like that happens,
1: like how would you manage it? Uh, It's tough. Uh, There's a, because there's a context to it. Number one, it's normal that a government or a premier's office, or prime minister's office speaks with a minister to see if there's a solution that Mm -hmm. could be found when there's 9,000 jobs in the country that are affected. Yeah. It's rare that a minister comes out and says that she was, pressured uh, to do something and at the same times that person is telling you that nothing was illegal um it's tough because for the unity of the country it's terrible because the people in the west feel some of them feel like um the prime minister was giving a pass to a quebec company and quebecers feel that uh it's uh I mean, we, we have to save the company because the individuals that are there today have nothing to do with yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So from a communication standpoint, what Prime Minister Trudeau did was what he had to do. And it, it, might, it might have seem not clear. On a
0: political level, I agree with you. Yeah. I, th- I think he did what everyone expects a prime minister to do in a situation like this. Yeah. What I don't understand is the, the news comes out and you know this is big right it's huge so and in the beginning you know they're trying to hide information they're trying to camouflage it and then you know they're saying oh no she's an important member of our of our cabinet 24 hours later she resigns like there's all these things that just kept You're right happening
1: as a reaction how do you not foresee these things just well, come you out. Can, well yeah you can't foresee these things but that the thing is that there's sometimes you can't control every variable that's the thing I mean um, if they're in their perspective and in prime minister Trudeau's office they're they're saying we did not have, we did not put any type of undue pressure on her. We didn't. Whatever she says, we didn't. No, but what but- I'm saying
0: what I'm saying is that instead of waiting f- uh, for everything to happen and to react, I think for something like this, they should have just immediately said, look, this is what's happening. This is what we did. It's our duty to save these jobs. And I would turn it against the opposition. I mean, what do yeah, they but want? They,
1: yeah, but the, the the thing is that, you know, he, they're in government. They're not in, in the opposition. So there were some things that they could not talk about. I mean, if you ask a person from the prime minister's office today, do you believe that uh, SNC Lavalin should have a DPA? Um off the record, they're probably going to say definitely because mm-hmm. we cannot lose these jobs. Mm-hmm. But the prime minister cannot say that because it would be perceived as interfering politically with uh, with something. And it's the decision of the attorney general, so that's why he's not. He can't say that. Um, then, uh, are you going the government? Are you are you going to to you know to the force the um, the the ministry of justice or the attorney general to are you not forced? I mean, is the Attorney General of Canada right now? Is he going to tell his his uh, you know his legislative branch to go with the DPA, although they said no? Mm-hmm. If you ask them personally, they would like to do it, but they can't answer that. And what Mrs. Wilson Rabel did, and she was, I mean, she had a good testimony, and she's a credible person. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I, I did not feel that she she was working with the team to find a solution. Well, that, see, the, the
0: perception now is that there's something mysterious happening in that caucus. There, there are groups, I think, that are either against them. Uh, like you mentioned, there's probably Quebec bashing happening. The caucus is split east-west. There's something happening. It's, uh, my first reaction was that, okay, this is not normal that a ministerial um, a cabinet minister uh, comes out in such confrontation to the leader. It can. Ha- you're
1: right. It can happen, but uh, it's it's pretty special. Yeah. And she's not alone. Like I mean, everything coming up now. I mean, yeah. But the, the, I mean, Minister Philpott. Well, well, Jane Philpott, uh, who, who is a, an MP, she left the cabinet, but she's a good friend of Madame Wilson Raybould. Mm-hmm. She's a really good friend. So
0: you would expect that, right? I mean, okay, there, there, there's friends, that. there's friendships, and there's you know, And there's collaborations, and people have taken their side. But it just seems that there's so much more to come in this whole situation.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the media is pretty happy about it. Well, uh, oh, they're having the a ball with it. The Party opposition is, uh, is taking this all the way to the elections. But you know what? The, the, what, the sad thing about that story is that we've been hearing about uh, the former attorney, attorney general, but nobody has answered the real question, even even the opposition parties. Will you protect nine thousand jobs in Canada? But yes that's what no? I told you from the very beginning. Yeah. I would have, I would have turned it to the opposition and say, "What would?" Yeah, mean? they tried, but the you know what? Sometimes you try to say A, and uh, what comes out uh, in the media is B. And sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes it's not their fault. But the public interest at that time was not about the you know the. It was not about the real question, which is you know protecting the company or not, it was more about political pressure. Mm-hmm. So even though Prime Minister Trudeau said, you know what, I did not have uh, inappropriate pressure and my focus is to find a solution for 9,000 jobs. Well, the focus was political pressure because because it was leaked in the media mm-hmm. and then, you know, Wilson Rabel said something. But the, the thing is, from a communication standpoint, sometimes you cannot leave, not you cannot leave a false version in your head be talked about in the media for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. So what happened is that minister or former minister Rabel came out with her truth. And then there was two or three weeks where we did not hear about mm-hmm. the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. And when Gerald Butts came in, some people said, you know what, he's pretty credible too. But why did he talk like four weeks or three weeks after uh, Ray, uh Wilson Rabel? Was it that long? Well, it was at least two, two weeks and a yeah, half yeah. or something. Hmm. But it was long. They could have decided to put him on the stand earlier. They could have. That way we would have had you know their version out earlier. But the time between Minister, uh, former Minister Wilson Rabel and Gerald Butts, the time that... Oh, well, it, it allowed the media to have allowed, a bomb. Exactly. Yeah. It allowed the media to think about uh, different types of things that could happen or not. That's what happened. But when you hear Gerald Butts his testimony, I cannot, from somebody that was backstage, I can understand what he says. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Completely. And probably a lot of people would have done the same thing. But does that con- does that constitute inappropriate pressure? Ow. I'm not too sure. I don't think so either. So some people in the caucus might say that she was not, uh, she was not working as a team member. The other thing that is shocking is that it's taking the caucus forever to make a decision.
0: I mean, we saw people leaving our caucus or, you know, being expelled from caucus or whatever. It just feels like in our case, within 24 to 48 hours, boom, there was a decision made. What is taking so long? Um, it's, it's and, the, and the problem is that you've waited so long now that if you decide to, you know, to get them out of the caucus, you're going to be perceived as the bad
1: guy now. I mean, there's so many things to juggle with. So you got sometimes when you have um, when you have bad choices you got to evaluate which one uh, will have less consequences exactly (laughs) so you you kick them out it's a bad sign uh you keep them in it might be poisoned for your group oh yeah um and you're headed into an election you don't know how that's going to play out so when you're thinking what you're thinking is more okay so what is the what is the less (laughs) (laughs) what <laughs> is the least the worst solution that yeah. I could come up with so statu quo cool seems pretty good <laughs> honestly you want to get that thing behind you that's what you want to do it just doesn't want to unstick though eh? true you're right and like, of course the opposition is but you're doing not, their job if you if you make a decision on that and you, you come out and you say I'm going to kick them out you're basically giving you're giving the story a new life like why would you do that mm-hmm. you'd rather like stay low and just talk about your budget. And at one point, come up with a decision concerning SNC-Lavaray. And then when they when people talk to you about it, then you shift to the opposition. And you, and you say, well, you NDP or you NP, um, uh, conservatives, what would you have done? Would you protect them or not? Are you for that or against? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's your job.
0: We're going to close it up. I just want to talk very uh, quickly about what you're doing now because you're, you're on TV. You're... Um You've been called up as a professional and a political analyst on uh, on one of Quebec's leading uh, media. How was that whole experience for you now to be on that side?
1: Um, I love it. I love it because uh, for uh, many years, I've been advising a lot of people uh, on what to say or trying to uh, prepare them for different TV interviews and stuff. Um, I, was, I was basically talking uh, without knowing. <laughs> That's what I realized. Um, it's fun, number one, to speak my mind and not somebody else, <laughs> in the name of somebody else. Second thing is I understand the pressures of it now mm-hmm. because uh, some it's it's kind of it's tough, it's tough. Is 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 it difficult to you um, know that transition from being criticized to becoming a critic? Um, not really, uh, because I feel that uh, I am fair and you know I always back up what I say with some facts. Mm-hmm. And I believe that you cannot be wrong if your facts are right, right? So, and I try to leave the partisan game aside. So I call it as I see it. Um, that's what I try to do. You know, I always wondered in those in those panels, and you know, obviously, there's people from
0: different parties, whether they're former uh, politicians or former uh, staffers, uh, such as yourself. Is the party at all involved? I mean, is there any directive or do they tell you, oh, look, uh, you can talk about that issue. This is where we stand. Oh. Or are, or do they leave or are you really free to just comment
1: as you please? Oh, I'm not. I mean, I I'm, I talk on uh, radio and on TV and I'm not. Uh, I don't consider myself as a, a Parti Liberal du Québec spokesperson on TV. Okay. Um, I obviously have Quebec Liberal values that won't change. If I want to know something, I'll call them up mm-hmm. or I'll call uh, my friends at the, uh, some of my friends at the CAT or I'll call somebody at the PQ um, or at uh, the federal level or mm-hmm. I'll talk to uh, to MP, conservative MP or uh, the prime minister's office just to get a, a sense. And I always tell them that I'm just asking questions to understand better your position and I'll make my own judgment on that after, okay. afterwards. So I don't, I don't bet. Obviously, sometimes when I say something good about someone, they text me and they say thanks. But (laughs) but that was not the objective. And I want to base my. You know, I've been looking at uh, how radio is done, and you know, TV columnists. There's a lot of commentary. There's a lot of people who who give their opinion, and that is fine. Um, It was frustrating for me to to sometimes to hear people talk and to 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 kind of feel that their sense of their sense of judgment was altered because they were too liberal or uh, too conservative or too kekist mm-hmm. or too pickist mm-hmm. and that really that i i thought for the for democracy it was a terrible thing so mm-hmm. i try to be as neutral as possible and i try to on certain issues i'm more passionate about like immigration or um, you know, in the international status of Quebec, or mm-hmm. relations with the federal government and other provinces. Obviously, if I see something that is not good, I'll be passionate about it and I'll I'll say it. But I defended François Legault when he went to um, on TV when he went to to the states the first time. And one of my colleagues that actually is a is a partisan of the of the CAC was saying that. Uh, his his first move or his first trip to the US uh, was not well organized. I defended Premier League on mm-hmm. that one because I felt that he was completely wrong. See, so I can I can be yeah, yeah I can be neutral in a sense. Is it something that you want to pursue? Is it something that you want to do more of? Um, I like it, uh, but I I don't think it's my main objective. Yeah, I never thought about you know being a reporter and going on the other side. That's not. The, but I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be the the person that can be as neutral as possible and my my motto is i'm going to tell you everything i know and the way i think but i'll back it up with facts and i'll let you make your own conclusion about it instead of doing the contrary yeah are you going to stay close to the party now um i i'm trying to stay close i i i don't want to be like um, others that uh, after uh, you know, uh, election defeat decided to just leave. That's not my objective. I'll see what I'll do uh, later, uh, you know, job wise and career wise and uh, with the studies and the family. But um, uh, I'll probably stay involved in what capacity. I don't know. There's a there's a, there's a, there's a leadership campaign coming up. <laughs> um, what do you
0: think the party has to focus on right now? Based on everything that we've seen that went
1: that went sour uh, in the last election, oh the number one thing i think is that you know the the people have to the members have to decide what are the rules for the next leadership campaign mm-hmm. after that uh it's got to get started you know i'm a proponent of starting this thing as soon as possible um not wait for like a an year and a half or something others are saying that uh that we should wait so that the party does a, the right diagnosis of uh of, you know, what went wrong and all that stuff. I believe that um, the person who's going to be the next leader of the Quebec Liberal Party will have the mandate of going around different regions and try to talk to the people there, understand what happened, and then, you know, come up with an action plan so that it doesn't happen again. So the quicker we can get that thing started, the better it will be for the party. That's what I think. I don't necessarily disagree with you. I just think that,
0: I mean, we don't know who the candidates are going to be, but I'm just, you know, I just fear that if ever, which is probably a small possibility, but if you have someone coming in from the outside, okay, and you do these elections the sooner, you know, being three years or even two years as a leader, sorry, as a leader of the party outside the parliament, that's tough, man. It's mm-hmm. very different. I mean, you lived it with uh, with Premier Cuillard. It's not easy to manage a team when you're not in the house. And of course, we're just assuming now that you know the next leader will come from the outside, which may not be the case. I mean, if someone is from within the party, then there's no problem. They're, still, they're sitting in the
1: house. But assuming that happens, you know, uh, it's a long time. It is a long time, but there's an advantage to that because you're not exposed every day. So uh, when Mr. Cuylard got in and became the leader of. A- the Quebec Liberal Party in two thousand March two thousand thirteen, from March two thousand thirteen to December, um, we could decide when we wanted to be at the National Assembly, and while people were stuck doing other stuff, the government we were just traveling and meeting people everywhere. So that was the best time mm-hmm. because that's where we got the real feeling of how you know how people felt in different regions concerning the economy, healthcare, education, and all that stuff. That's where. You know th- those uh those meetings were the best ones to understand what people were feeling so it's it's not always negative the other thing is that you know you were talking about the leader coming from outside the party well philippe couillard was uh at the party but he was outside the party at that time when he became uh exactly. when he got interested in the leadership campaign jean charret was outside the party in mm-hmm. 98 uh, 98 i mean well he came when he came uh to the quebec liberal party so that's a scenario that could happen um, there are some people in the, this caucus that uh, I that I believe are very talented um, and that could do this job um, but then again I mean the, the you you can't think uh, in my in my I mean I, I was born as a member of the Quebec Liberal Party politically so I am not uh, I am not in in the uh, I am not in the um, the 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 thinking that we we only have to work to we only have to work towards a victory in the next election i mean it's better to understand completely what happened and to go see the people and understand the francophones anglophones the diversity the regions and build a political offer that will rally people mm-hmm. and to do that this takes time and we didn't have a lot of time with mesoucuiar um because it was in March 2013. The election was in February 2014. Now we have time. So the more time we take to do it properly, the better results are going to come. So that's what the party has to do. Do you think they'll be ready for 2022? or? The, they have to. And the PQ also, and QS also, mm-hmm. and the CAC also. Everybody's got to be ready for that. But the, the, it'll be interesting to see where uh, what is the... The DNA of those parties, what are they going to be? Yeah. You know, uh, what does it mean exactly to be a federalist? What does it mean uh, for a liberal individual liberties in 2019? What does it mean uh, for the CAC, uh, a nationalist uh, inside of Canada? What does that mean? Like, how do they contribute? Is the PQ coming back with separatism as the number one thing? And what does that mean for the people to sell it to the new generation? Yeah. And Quebec that we talked about it earlier. What, a, what do they have to do to become a mainstream party while keeping their values to the left? That's yeah. interesting questions okay. that will be answered in the next couple of years. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Dude, I don't
0: want to take up too much of your time. I appreciate you coming. Um, I want to wish you luck with everything that you do. I follow you, obviously. Uh, thanks. You're a brilliant guy, and uh, I appreciate your time.
1: Thanks. I appreciate it. It was uh, really fun to speak with you. I'm doing that anytime, and uh, thanks. Okay.